Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. It's the week of September 16th, 2019. On this week's episode, we'll take a look at the upcoming Minnesota Twin Series as the Chicago White Sox serve as the last great hope for the Cleveland Indians as they are trying to win the American League Central and they really need the White Sox help to win this series. And if the White Sox could pull off a miracle and sweep the Twins, that would even be better for Cleveland. So we'll see what the White Sox can do as they try to play spoiler. We'll also look at the rest of the Major League Baseball postseason race as the Diamondbacks fade in the wild card and the Chicago Cubs rise, but not as high as the Milwaukee Brewers who have won nine of their last 10 games. The National League Central is a tight race once again, but there have been some major injuries that could decide on who makes it into the postseason while other teams are getting good news as key players are returning from injuries. Of course, we'll answer your guys' questions at the end in P.O. Sox. First, let's recap what happened in Seattle. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, the host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. After hitting a Grand Slam on Sunday, I guess the White Sox are going to be picking up Wellington Castillo's option for 2020, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I, it was funny. I, I, I tweeted out that uh, I wondered, and I kind of asked this rhetorically, whether Wellington Castillo would be the better bet than James McCann in 2020 and the responses i got were a mix of denial <laughs> and horror and uh just uh shutting me down completely <laughs> and uh, that was kind of what i was going for uh no it's 
it's a little bit tough right now just because Castillo, I mean, like he's got flaws. He's striking out a ton, isn't walking, hitting for his typical average. But the extra base hits have been rather abundant. And I don't, you know, with, with McCann having such a bad second half, I just don't know what you do with those two pieces of information and those two tracks. I was kidding. Uh, I wasn't trying to be serious about the White Sox picking up Wellington Castillo, but that is interesting. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's what, $8 million for next year? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I was trying to use Wellington Castillo as a segue to another White Sox catcher, and that's Zach Collins, who got an opportunity to catch a couple times. And of course, in the final weeks of the season, the results don't matter a whole lot. The, the results as far as players we're keeping an eye on for 2020, that's something worth tracking. And for Zach Collins, he had a multi-hit game on Saturday, and he does look better offensively at the plate, uh, making good contact even against the left-handed pitchers. But he had a tough defensive game again, trying to catch Dylan Covey. And I don't know if that's just a bad pairing, but the two work together in Charlotte. And he's really struggling, Jim, framing pitches. He, he's losing strikes for his pitchers right now. And I know there are going to be some that say, hey, he's still new to the major leagues. He's still learning. These are items we have been talking about Zach Collins trying to work on since he's joined the organization. Mm -hmm. So with your confidence level watching Zach Collins right now after this series, my mind is about 80% made up that he is a DH first base type. And I think the White Sox are better off just ditching the catcher's glove for him right now and focus him on getting more experience at first base. But where are you when it comes to Zach Collins, at least behind the plate defensively? Yeah, I like him in that uh, 26th man third catcher role. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the framing. That was really, <laughs> I guess, one of the more starker uh, differences watching him catch against Tom Murphy and just how wide of a strike zone Mariners pitchers got versus mm -hmm. the White Sox strike zone, which was pretty much rule book. Like it, that was how it was supposed to be called. And and he lost some strikes inside the zone. So it is even narrower when you factor in uh, the, the balls that uh, were inside the zone, but not called. And yeah, just a, uh, you know, noisy mid. He's, I think some of it's not, he's not setting up in the right way to get the outside calls. I think I, I noticed in today's game that he just, uh, you know, would try to hold the mitt in the same spot and he didn't really do anything mitt wise, but it was just like on the outside of his body for an outside strike from a left-handed pitcher going across the plate. And, you know, some of that I think can be improved by positioning a little bit. But uh, as we've, as you said, we've been talking about this for quite a long time and scouts have been talking about it for a long time. And part of me's wondered, you know, as the White Sox try to make a catcher out of him, if they're harming him from being more of a hitter or, or preventing him from being, uh, you know, focusing more of his attention on solving his swing issues and the, the hole in the swing and his uh, inability to, or struggles to cover the top half of the zone with uh, velocity um, you know, maybe that's something that wouldn't happen either way and catching is how he has to be there, uh, how he has to be in the majors because he won't be uh, somebody who gets by there on bat alone. But mm -hmm. uh, it's tricky right now and it's been tricky for, I think, a year now. And uh, I think it depends on how aggressively the White Sox look at their catcher situation. Like if they get Yasmani Grandal and they have James McCann there or Wellington Castillo, if I may introduce that for people to uh, tear their <laughs> hair out. But, uh, you know, if they get Yasmani Grandal, there's really no reason to have Collins be a catcher. Uh, you know, at least uh, have him devote serious time to it, to trying to crack, um, you know, 70, 80 games behind the plate. So I, I would try to, I guess, move on from that. But 
the White Sox have been rel- relatively stubborn, and I don't uh, don't see them moving on from it quite yet. And if the bat never comes around, he might need to be a catcher just to, you know, even if not a full time catcher, like a forty game a year catcher, just to be able to stick in the majors. Well, if you want more ammo to use against the Chicago White Sox draft efforts, uh, you definitely got it after this weekend. Even though I thought Zach Collins had a good series offensively, uh, Kyle Lewis is making a much better first impression right now in the major leagues than Zach Collins is. And Lewis has picked one spot after Zach Collins in the 2016 draft. So there we go. We have a little fun comparison for those two players are intertwined uh, as long as their careers last in the major leagues. But again, extremely small sample size, and it is a very early first impression. But Kyle Lewis does look pretty impressive for Seattle, where Zach Collins appears to be trying to still find his footing to be a little bit more consistent offensively, but the defense, I'm not sold, and I don't think I can be sold. And if I may offer a peek behind the curtain, we're recording this in the ninth inning of the uh, Sunday game just because I have to go to a concert and this game has taken forever. Anyway, they intentionally walked the bases loaded with one outs because they had runners in the corners. 3-2 pitch, Jose Ruiz up and into Tom Murphy, and it's just a little bit high, and Collins did not get the call. Hmm. So that's the case where, you know, maybe another catcher gets that call that Collins didn't get. And that was like a, you know, not a great catch. I mean, it wasn't bad. You know, it's hard to tell with catchers. Like, or like you know, a lot of the catcher um, framing is it, it's hard to tell or hard to know whether you're making like snap judgments correctly or whether you're letting the call, which is instant, uh, determine how you ultimately felt about the receiving job. But uh, the way he caught it did not uh, get the call. And now the White Sox blew a 10-5 lead and lost 11-10. to yeah, that was a crazy game. Down 5 nothing, score 8 in the 5th inning, go up 10-5, and then lose 11-10. to One of the crazier games this year. But again, it's September baseball. We're looking forward to the offseason uh, and the 2020 season. So it's nothing to really cry about, I guess, as far as fans are concerned. Um, but, you know, for Dylan Cease, okay, so moving away from Zach Collins to Dylan Cease, and this is a question that James Fegan of The of the Athletic uh, asked Rick Renteria and posted Renteria's response to on Twitter, and it sounds like Rick Renteria doesn't know about any innings limit for Dylan Cease. And to remind everyone, uh, after his start on Saturday, in which Cease lasted five innings and only gave up one run, and that's back-to-back starts without allowing a home run, uh, 13 games started for Dylan C, 67 innings thrown in the major leagues. And he threw, he started 15 games down in Charlotte and pitched 68 innings in AAA. So for his entire career, including the minor leagues, Dylan Cease has had a career high 135 innings. Jim, do you feel like Cease's season is going to end a bit earlier than expected and the innings will be playing a factor uh i i could see it being the case just because of the i guess the stress of his starts and the amount of pitches he throws in certain innings and wanting to be protective of it especially with guys having tommy john surgery and coming back and, and trying to stock that roster with as many in-house pitchers as possible but I think if I were to call it and, you know, being me being at a distance and not knowing exactly the condition of Cease's stuff uh, and his arm and everything, I think I would like to see him start the rest of the year. Maybe not every five days, like maybe buy him an extra day off or, or yeah, maybe two days. So he starts in seven days rest if they can rearrange the rotation with the off day and a 
Ross Detweiler start and so forth to get him some rest. But, you know, given just his struggles and the uh, how he succeeded in some starts by getting immediate feedback after some rough innings and, and working through that, I think it's worth trying to make as, you know, I guess take as many lumps as possible and make as many in-game adjustments and just have that log of, of the way in-game adjustments were made to attempt to carry that in the next season. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it is, you know, it starts from here are relatively meaningless, but it seems like, you know, we, we've seen him make starts and, uh, you have some ones where it just seems like he's figured it out and, uh, now he's on the track and then he gets, you know, derailed. And it seems like, you know, just how his fastball is, you know, looking good. His curveball has been pretty good, or at least better than it has other points in the season, uh, this late in the year. I think I'd rather see him, get all the way through try to get to like 145 innings and uh then get ready for you know i, I guess take that you know whatever he learned from this season taking the off season and get ready for a full six months in the majors next year um but yeah that's me not knowing you know being in the training room and knowing exactly what he's dealing with but i think he's been close enough in triple a you know if they keep using the baseball isn't going to teach him anything so i think these lessons are going to be learned in the majors and try to learn as much as he can before the games really start counting. To correct myself, Cease did give up a solo shot to shed lawn mm. on Saturday. So that's not back-to-back starts. Out of his 13 starts this year, 12 of those starts to Lynn Cease has allowed a home run. But again, it's just back-to-back starts where he's only allowed one run. But Jim, the pitches in the innings, like throwing 29 pitches in an inning, uh, they're, they're really stacking up on him where he can't go deep and the walks are starting to creep up a little bit. So there are still some things that Cease has to work on. And looking at the rest of the schedule, his next two starts are going to be the Friday game when the White Sox travel to Detroit. So he's not pitching during the Twin Series. And his final start of the year looks to be the Thursday night game against the Cleveland Indians. That will be his final start. So it looks like he's only got two starts remaining. And the way that he's been progressing, I don't even think he's going to reach 150 innings. So I say just continue on with the normal schedule. If he was at 150 innings right now, I could see where, okay, Detroit will be your last start of the year and we'll have somebody else make a start. Maybe Ross Detweiler comes back and makes that start on Thursday and you call it a season because he got past 150 inning threshold. But where he's at right now, Jim, I say let's cease just finish out the year because I don't think he's going to reach 150 innings. Yeah, it's fair, especially with the off day um, hanging in here and, and allowing him one more extra day of rest. It's possible, or like I would see that's reasonable and worth, um, you know, worth pursuing as long as there are no signs and you're looking at his stuff, uh, inning to inning and start to start. It seems like he's not battling fatigue, at least in that way. Now, if he's battling, you know, sometimes fatigue shows up in command, but given how erratic Cease has been all season, I think that's going to be really hard to tell, uh, you know, whether it's just uh, his usual command or whether it's uh, fatigue-induced issues. Okay, so other two other points from this series in Seattle. Uh, the Tim Anderson batting title watch. Anderson was 4 for 13 of the series. His batting average is at 333, but DJ LeMahieu had some big games this series. LeMahieu is at 329 for the season. So where Anderson had a little bit of a breathing room when LeMahieu was around 325, uh, LeMahieu has come up big with some four-hit games. So it'll be interesting to see 
on how Anderson kind of handles that pressure. I mean, he's doing so well offensively. Uh, and this is still going to be a very good year offensively for Tim Anderson, whether or not he wins the batting title. Uh, but as you mentioned last week, Jim, that, you know, typically I wouldn't pay too much attention to this because it's batting average and batting average is not all that important. But now I have found myself, Jim, uh, more into this batting title race than I was expecting to be. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, apprehensive about it just because of the Charlotte Knights thing. <laughs> uh, everybody turned their attention to the Charlotte Knights playoff hunt and then they collapsed. Just everybody tuned their attention to it and yeah, then uh, it all crumbled. And so I'm a little bit uh, gun shy of trying to make too big of a deal about it or, or trying not to get nervous about people getting too invested in it. But, you know, it is White Sox history and you know they only have two batting titles before. So it's you know kind of cool, even if it is maybe a bit outdated. And as I've written about and we've talked about, with Anderson, that batting average is pretty reflective of his overall quality of season because he draws the same amount of walks. Uh, his extra base hit totals don't usually fluctuate. So if you're if you're watching an enjoyable Tim Anderson season, it's because he's getting singles and doubles and homers, uh, and that's what he's been doing this year. So <laughs> if he can just you know have this one column tell the whole story and he's the best in the league at it, it kind of tells a nice little story in a, in a succinct way of just. Uh, what kind of season he had. And even if you don't really feel great about the way he does it, he's doing it. And then Yohan Makata, he had a couple starts against left-handed pitching and he just looks a lot better swinging right-handed. This is something we've been saying all season long that, wow, Makata's really made adjustments swinging from the right side and faring much better against left-handed pitchers. He's now at a 275 batting average with a 329 on base and slugging 471 against left-handers. Last year, he wasn't even close to these numbers, and it's really amazing the transformation that Mikata has made against left-handed pitching, Jim. Yeah, especially, like, I guess the Seattle series would be uh, a nice evidence of it when they have, like, uh, Yusei Kikuchi, who's struggling, and um, Wade LeBlanc, who throws, like, 88 on a good fastball. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that's the kind of left-handed pitching who you think, like, okay, he should beat him up, and he beat him up. Like, uh, I think he'll still struggle against, like, the best lefties in the league, but a lot of guys will. Um, but, yeah, he's he's hitting the guys he should hit. And he's, uh, you know, it looks controlled, and it looks... It looks both controlled, but not like he's settling for singles. He's hitting line drives. He doesn't have like that beautiful launch, uh, that beautiful, uh, uh, you know, that that finish that he has from the left-hand side where he just launches the ball in the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. It's more of a controlled line drive swing, but there is more strength behind it. Uh, he is ripping more line drives uh, to both fields, uh, getting balls to split the gaps. And uh, that's, I think, you know, that might be ultimately the final form of his weaker side. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, like, slugging 470 something from the right side and maybe even getting up to 500 with one a little bit more progression if that's the weak side um there's nothing to complain about yeah the white Sox are now 65 and 84 on the season uh and again our prediction was 70 and 92 so they just got to get five more wins to hit our prediction our preseason prediction for the season and that also meets a lot of the season projections as well and the good news is, is that they got a couple series against Detroit before the year is over. So the White Sox have a chance to surpass 70 wins, but that's currently where they are. As far as in the standings and how the White Sox continue this road trip, 
They go from Seattle to Minneapolis for a three-game series against the American League Central leading Minnesota Twins. And before we preview that series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buy tickets. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd as they built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. And I use SeatGeek all the time to buy tickets for any type of sporting event. And the reason why I like to use SeatGeek is that they display all the tickets on our interactive seat map so I have a good understanding of what the view looks like before I get to the stadium. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so I can shop for tickets with confidence. And with so many stadiums, now moving over to digital tickets it's really easy to download the tickets onto my smartphone for easy access into the stadium and the best part is that SeatGeek will get you $10 off your first purchase all you have to do is just use our promo code download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek and this is the last time hallelujah but the White Sox will be facing the Minnesota Twins in 2019. The Twins are currently 91-58 and 58 on the season. Their last 10 games, they've been a 500 team. But the season series against the White Sox, they are 11-5 and five against the White Sox this year. Your pitching problems for this series, these are all 6.40 p.m. Central Time starts. Remember that. 6.40, not 7.10. If you tune in at 7.10, you're probably already in the bottom half of the first inning. So your Monday matchup is Ronaldo Lopez against Jose Barreos. On Tuesday, it's Lucas Giolito against Martin Perez. And on Wednesday, it is Dylan Covey getting another start against Jake Odorizzi. Jim, what are you looking for in this series? I guess relief. <laughs> when, they, uh, when it comes to like the you know, trying to project these series and seeing what they did against Seattle. And we talked, you know, last time out about the over under for this road trip. And yeah, I kind of just bet the under just because the under treats me well before. And it, you know, when you see them pitch the way they against Seattle and, and, you know, struggling to get through with Aaron Bummer and, and Alex Colome, them kind of regressing towards the end of the season. And then this game, you know, leading 10 to five and thinking you have some wiggle room and trying to get through uh, a couple innings and trying to avoid Bummer and Colome for a third straight game. And there's just, you know, outside of Jimmy Cordero, who I think has been underutilized, I would have gone to him over Kelvin Herrera. Um, you know, that's the, yeah, I don't know where you get outs with the White Sox bullpen right now. Jace Fry has been a mess. Um, really, it's Bummer and Colomay and just hoping that they can hang on for the end of the season. Maybe Cordero and Evan Marshall has been all right, uh, but he's been used a lot too. So uh, they have about like maybe three pitchers in the bullpen who are, you know, I guess getting high leverage work, but they're more probably good mid-leverage guys and, and decent high leverage guys. So when you face an offense like the Twins, Seems like it could be a mess, especially with the way the rotation is. I guess I'm I'm hoping for you know Giolito and Lopez to hold up their ends of the bargain because right now the rest of the White Sox rotation. You mentioned Dylan Covey, you know you can't get rid of him, and Ivan Nova I think has given up something like 51 hits over his last 25 innings. Like just he's getting beat around the park, and looks like this is kind of a, a an unceremonious end to his one year at the White Sox. And Dylan Cease having his rookie year struggles. It's a lot for the bullpen to absorb and a lot for. Uh, you know, Rick Renteria to try to figure out how to wend his way through. I guess I would go with, you know, Jimmy Cordero as the third slash fourth best reliever and put everybody else in the uh, 
long relief bin, but yeah, it's a mess right now. I'm going to be paying attention to the Wednesday start because maybe Jake Odorizzi will be a target for the White Sox front office this offseason as someone that could help patch the starting rotation. So that's something that I'll be watching as he's facing the guy that I would like Jake Odorizzi to replace in the starting rotation for 2020 and Dylan Covey. Folks, I know you're eye rolling right now. You're probably yelling at us on why is Dylan Covey getting another start? I don't know. We're in September. We're on the home stretch. We're almost to the offseason where you guys get to play general manager during the 2019-2020 offseason plans on SoxMachine.com, which I think we'll all agree will not have Dylan Covey in the 2020 White Sox starting rotation. So that's what I'm going to be looking forward to. And again, we'll be recapping as far as his White Sox twin series on Sox Machine Live on Wednesday night. But we're going to take a quick moment and have a word from our sponsor. But when we come back on the Sox Machine podcast, we'll recap all the action that's going on impacting the postseason races in Major League Baseball. I know it's baseball season, but many of us are gearing up for fantasy football. Some of you might be like me and you are the commissioner of your fantasy league. Just recently, I made a new website to track our standings and all of our past champions, which if you want to check out, you can go to DraftKingsLeague.com. And I created that website on Wix. It was super easy as Wix has hundreds of templates to choose from. So if you don't have the best design chops like me, no worries. They have a lot of website examples you can use for a variety of topics like a blog or your photography, weddings, and even small business options. Wix also has a lot of tools you can use to make the website more productive. For me, it was nice they have Google Sheets integrations that I could use to create our standings and allow our other participants in the league to track their progress. They also have other built-in tools like storage and custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and even e-commerce. With built-in SEO tools, you can use to get your website found easily on Google, and every site is automatically optimized for any device. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your business, share your talents to the world, or like me, create a website for our fantasy football league. Whatever you're dreaming of, you'll need a website, and Wix can help. Get started by going to Wix.com, that's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. So there are two teams that are red hot right now in Major League Baseball that are impacting the MLB postseason races. Over the American League, the Oakland Athletics have won six straight games, eight of their last 10 games, and they have gone from a team at one point outside of the wild card uh, and then they moved into the second wild card spot now they have a game and a half lead after sunday over the tampa bay rays and looks like oakland would be hosting that one game playoff and tampa bay they're not struggling they've won seven of their last 10 games and then you got cleveland a game and a half back 
And they're not really struggling. They've won six of their last 10 games. So all three teams are playing really well. And in over the National League, there are the Cubs who have won four straight games over the Pittsburgh Pirates. But it came at a great cost. And even though the Brewers have lost Christian Yelich, the Brewers have won nine of their last 10 games. And winning their last two games against the St. Louis Cardinals has, again, tying up the divisional race and also the National League wildcard. So, Jim, let's start with the American League wildcard. As I mentioned, the Oakland A's have won six straight games, eight of their last ten, and Tampa Bay is a game and a half behind. But the Rays are getting some good news. Tyler Glasnow and Blake Snell may be returning back into the starting rotation for them. Glasnow has had a couple appearances so far for the Rays, and sometime this week, Blake Snell may be coming off the injured list. Is that a big enough boost to the starting rotation for Tampa where you think that they could separate themselves and gain even more ground on Cleveland, but more importantly, catch Oakland to try to host that one game playoff? I would say on paper it is. I think my concern when it comes to late September and having pitchers coming back is whether any kind of lack of a rehab stint will affect uh, just, I guess, how smoothly they reintegrate back in the rotation. So uh, we've seen with the White Sox and, you know, up close and, and other areas where some guys are injured and they, they miss the end of the postseason. They come back and they just kind of scuffle the rest of the way or never quite get back on track and just are relegated to either back half of the bullpen or spot starter or, you know, um, you know starting every other game just because they're not quite fully operational. So not knowing, I guess, the complete state of, I guess, Tampa Bay's uh, injury protocol when it comes to when minor league rehab stints aren't available, just how exactly they go about doing that. But no, it's a, it's a fun race. And when you look, it's funny when you look at the American league race and, and just looking at, uh, you know, ordering the league by record, it's basically perfect in terms of run differential. Uh, Houston with 255, uh, Yankees up 188, 167 for Minnesota, 152 for Oakland, 111 for Tampa. Uh, 109 for Cleveland, 83 for Boston. Like everybody who's over 500 is like perfect. And hmm. the records are reflective of their run differential, basically, you know, with with minor, um, yeah, I guess minor gaps in terms of, uh, I guess, the differences between teams. But just uh, it's, it's pr- relatively proportional. You look at the National League, completely different. And we were talking about, you know, focusing on Arizona and they just wilted under the pressure of our gazes and are completely out of it now. So I, when it comes to the National League, I have, you know, and then you see uh, Yelich gets hurt and then, you know, Cubs lose, you know, they first lose Baez and then Riz just, I have no idea what to make of the National League. Yeah, the other outside of the Chicago Bears pulling off a miracle with Eddie Pinero making the game winning kick with one second remaining. I figured that the second most popular talking point on Chicago sports radio is going to be Anthony Rizzo's ankle injury. And if you didn't see it, Rizzo rolled it pretty bad trying to field a bunt in Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And as Jim mentioned, the Cubs are already without Javier Baez. And we don't know if they're without Baez for the rest of the regular season. And the Cubs are getting an MRI on Anthony Rizzo's ankle. So we're probably going to hear more either Monday evening or early Tuesday what the results of that MRI is to determine how long Rizzo is out. This is important because, yes, the Cubs did sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates, which the Pirates are doing a very good job tanking uh, in the Major League Baseball reverse standings that impacts the draft next year. 
But as good as the Cubs were, the Brewers have just been on fire again. Here we go again, Jim. This is a this is a repeat of last September when the Brewers were just unconscious and just keep continuing to find a way to win. In the National League Central, it is the St. Louis Cardinals on top right now at 83 and 66. They're two games ahead of the Cubs, and they're only three games ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Brewers are just one game behind the Chicago Cubs in the wild card race. Behind the Brewers is the New York Mets at three and a half games. And then you got the Phillies and and the Diamondbacks, as Jim mentioned, are fading in the race. My first question is between the Cubs and Brewers, what we know right now and factoring in the major injuries that both teams are currently going through, which team do you have more confidence that could possibly catch the St. Louis Cardinals and win the National League Central. I kind of feel like Milwaukee just because of the injuries and also Pittsburgh is just a mess. Like, I I don't think you can gauge anything about what a team is doing based on how they face Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh reminds me of, I guess I'm curious to watch them in the offseason because they've had Clint Hurdle atop uh, the chain for a long time uh, in terms of running the team. And they've had Ray Searage there as pitching coach and at one time a pitching wizard. And it seems like they've kind of run their course, their their methodologies and their messaging and everything. And, you know, it's all, you know, exploded or imploded. Uh, there have been spectacular explosions in the dugout and in the clubhouse, but it's just all kind of caved in. And uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, a very White Sox situation, you know, with Don Cooper and such, and just kind of the institutional, uh, the I guess the foundation of, what had been a surprisingly successful franchise in some areas like White Sox with pitching and health, um, you know, has kind of, uh, they, they've lost their advantage and it's because it's caved in for both franchises. And I think the uh, Pirates are getting to the same point where the White Sox got a couple uh, years ago. And I'm curious to see how aggressively they go about trying to solve their issues. Do they fire hurdle? Do they uh, replace the whole staff? Do they try to you know, do they fire Huntington? Just I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but they've just been playing so awfully, and it just seems like it's just rot, um, you know, up and down the chain that seems that needs to be, I guess, rooted out. And I think you can make the same argument at the White Sox, and I'm always curious when a team hits the same spot that the White Sox do, like the Twins, for instance, you know, with uh, Ron Gardenhire and Terry Ryan there for so long. They've had their way of doing things, and it just stopped working. And so their answer was to... You know, fire Ryan, fire Garden, hire, bring in uh, the Indians. Uh, well, the, I think Indians and Rangers, a mix of the, uh, those front offices, also a heavy Tampa Bay influence so with some of their hirings. And they've created this monster. It's kind of a temporary monster, I think, right now because they have a lot of guys heading free agency, but they hit the free agent market really well. They've developed their talent really well, I think, to, to a large degree, and they solve their issues. So I think, uh, yeah, I've kind of... Uh, gone to a tangent with just uh, marveling at how bad the pirates are but I'm, I'm really fascinated by them but when it comes to the t- i guess returning to your question originally the uh top of the wild card race yeah i think the cubs just after they get past the pirates i think uh uh reality will set in for them a bit more and just you know, their season-long struggles compounded with losing Baez and now rizzo i think might be a little bit hard for them to take it seems like they're just kind of at the end of the rope uh the writing is on the wall with madden and epstein and everything like that mm-hmm. and just uh I don't, it seems like the same thing that happened last year with Milwaukee overtaking him. It seems like all of the elements are there 
for that to happen again, plus injuries to key players. Yeah, Chris Bryant was asked about that. If the outside distractions, especially regarding Joe Madden's situation and status for next season, uh, distracting the clubhouse. And Chris Bryant's response was 1,000%. Mm. So if outside distractions on top of major injuries to key players in Javier Baez and Anthony Rizzo, Chicago may not see postseason baseball in 2019. Yeah, Theo has a history of that, you know, going back to Boston of just really messy endings, whether it's either himself or I don't think he manages that part well. I mean, he does a lot well and, you know, uh, you, you can't knock his record. But when it comes to trying to shift or wind things down or move on or, or, or turn pages, he, he stumbles with that often. And to sometimes really, I think Boston's media is uh, more poisonous than Chicago's. Uh, but I think if you transplanted some Boston writers over to Chicago, I think you'd be seeing a lot more written about what's going on between the two of them. Could you imagine if Skip Bayless and Jay Mariotti were still in Chicago? Yeah, maybe. It's it's. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's them, just because they weren't. You know, they they're not guys who go to the clubhouse. Uh, nah, that's true. Yeah, with Boston, just like they between the beat writers and the ownership leaking, and you know, maybe Tom Ricketts isn't the same as John Henry, but they just have a lot of leaks that make everything a mess at the end. Same thing with Dave Dombrowski, like everything that was being said about him at the end of his his uh, you know his run uh, and very abbreviated post World Series run just uh, just shows just that they're at, a, at they operate at a different level over there. Um, a lot of the beat writers and columnists and have been there for a long time and have been around the, the clubhouse for a long time. And I just think that everything runs so much more deeper and at a more visceral level than anything Chicago does. So uh, Epstein here might get off a little bit easy just because um, it's just not quite as venomous. And yeah, the Cubs are going to dominate the offseason talks, especially especially in Chicago. Even though the White Sox have the lowest payroll and the lowest amount of money committed to the 2020 roster, and, and logically, the White Sox should be one of those teams discussed for every single free agent. Why? Because they definitely have the money to spend on anyone available. It'll be the Cubs dominating because the Cubs are going to let Joe Madden go and people are really not going to be able to believe that with all the success that he's had with the Cubs. And then it's all going to be about who is replacing Joe Madden. I mean, they're having these discussions now and we're still two weeks away from the end of the season. So yeah, if Chris Bryant is saying these outside distractions are impacting us 1000%, uh, I, I just don't know. I, my count, even though they had a good series against the Pirates and Cubs fans should feel uh, a high from that series, especially because they scored so many runs. As Jim mentioned, the Pirates are terrible right now. They're in a terrible situation, and the Cubs did not make a, make any ground on the Milwaukee Brewers uh, as they're still just one game ahead of the Brewers, but there are two games within the Cardinals, and that's where everyone's going to be focusing in the baseball world is at the National League Central on who's going to win the division and who's going to be good enough to face the Washington Nationals in the one-game playoff. It'll be very fun times. And the other big baseball uh, news, Mike Trout is out for the rest of the season. Jim, I'm seeing some columns, especially from the Houston area, that are trying to make the argument that Alex Bregman should be this year's MVP, even though he's going to miss the last two weeks of the season. I'm part of the Internet Baseball Writers Association of America. Mike Trout's getting my MVP vote because he's been the best player this year. Do you think... 
Mike Trout missing the last three weeks of the season is going to impact the American League MVP race. I don't think so. This has been really his crowning achievement when it comes to just his his well-roundedness and his uh, yeah, just availability has really been the only sticking point. But he's just been so good offensively, and uh, yeah, just unfortunate that it came down his feet, affecting his speed a little bit. So his stolen bases are down, but power, walks, strikeout, just everything is in his favor right now. And I, I can't see three weeks of, or yeah, in this case, the yeah, last two weeks of relatively meaningless baseball across the top of the American League really changing all that much about uh, you know, who's the most valuable. Now, if Bregman goes, maybe if Bregman goes off, you know, maybe that's the case where he compl- you know, like pulls a Yelich kind of end of the season type thing. Maybe I could see the case, but as things as they are now and as you can project them, I don't see that changing. Yeah, I, I still think it's going to be Mike Trout. In the National League with Yelich out, I think it's Cody Bellinger. I think the MVP races have already been decided. So both MVPs will be going to Orange County one to Cody Bellinger for the National League and the other to Mike Trout with the Angels, which has that ever happened before? Have like has a MVP been gone to a Yankees and a Mets player or an MVP to the White Sox or Cubs? Uh I have to imagine so, but I would say yeah, I can't think when everybody was in New York. Yeah, that's my guess. Giants, Dodgers and Yankees. Okay. Yeah. yeah, good point. Good point. All right. So that's recapping everything that's going on as far as the rest of the league at Major League Baseball with the postseason races and the key injury news. We're going to take another break, but when we come back, it's time to answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Socks Machine, posting the questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And that's going to be the cool thing about this edition of P.O. Socks. All of these questions come from our Patreon supporters. So again, thank you guys so much for your support of the website and the podcast. And Jim, the first question that we have comes from Jeff Blum. And Jeff is asking about Aloy's fielding. Not sure how to interpret Sackass's new defensive metrics, but they show something interesting for Aloy. Aloy's initial reaction metric is slightly below average. His route metrics are above average, and his burst metric is terrible. Given that he has above average speed, this tells me that he's not confident enough going after balls, even though he has the speed and route running ability to get there. I'm probably looking too far into it, but what do you make of these stat cast metrics for Aloy? I think it's roughly in balance with at least what I'm looking at. I would say I, I wouldn't call his route running above average. I would maybe say it's average to slightly below, but yeah, the closing speed seems to be an issue. It doesn't seem like you know, when he's in the outfield that he runs 
uh, I guess, with the straight line speed that he has in the base paths. And, you know, that's, I guess, to be expected. We saw that with Avi Garcia in right field for so long, just that when he's when he has a fixed spot to run to from home to first, you know, he 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 busts it down the line in a way that he doesn't, I guess, like tear tear off to a uh, a spot in the field that's more imaginary based on where he thinks a ball is going to go. So I think part of it's that. You know, it's kind of like when you look at a football player running uh, in shorts versus running in pads. You know, the speed isn't quite the same or there's football speed versus sprinting speed. Might be a similar thing. I think with Eloy, I think his defense has improved. He's not the mess that he was in Comerica uh, earlier in the year. And he's not the, I, I guess he's not quite the uh, GIF slash GIF machine that he was. Uh, 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 Twitter gold for me uh, for you know weeks and weeks, but uh, it does seem when he does make mistakes or comes up short, it's a lack of uh, aggression, not wanting to be, you know, overrun something, not wanting to take too sharp an angle and and have it go to the wall. We don't see the back of his uniform all that often, you know, overrunning something and uh, or, or, or cutting it off and just having to take it off for the wall and, and collect it on the warning track, which is, you know, I guess a good call a lot of the time, but there are some cases where I think he doesn't want to, um, you know, turn a single into a triple. And so he, you know, turns it into a double instead just by rounding it off too generally and uh, gives up the base that way. So I think we have seen improvement from him, I guess, fly ball to fly ball over the course of the year, but there will be uh, stuff for him to work on. And it really comes down to, I guess, trusting the angle he's taking and taking more direct path to the ball. And some guys never quite accomplish that and are below average outfielders for that reason and maybe that's the case with him but given that it was his first full season he was under the microscope and uh it looked to me that he did have some of the effects of that um just being overly cautious and not looking nearly as comfortable or even i guess comfortably uh acceptable out there as he was in the minors uh, maybe you will take that into his offseason regimen and work on uh either taking reps with fly balls, agility drills, whatever it takes to uh, you know, make his straight line speed a little bit more applicable to his, uh, I guess, his closing speed, closing on fly balls. Jeff, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Kevin Shannon. He's looking ahead to this offseason. And Kevin is asking, assuming he opts out, how would you feel about the White Sox signing Mike Moustakis? It feels like it would be a year too late for me. Um, it seemed, you know, watching his market fail to develop twice in a row, and I know that he wasn't an exciting option for White Sox fans, and uh, especially with the rebuild, seemed like he might be, you know, why give him a one-year deal when you're going to lose anyway? Uh, I was for adding more acceptable players into the lineup, and, and especially when Mankata wasn't yet uh, fixed at third base. And look like you might give him another year at second base to see if you can, I guess, uh, make his hands a bit more agile and, and, and improve his dexterity at second base with making those tough angle throws and the quick pivots and everything. But with the way it is now and with him establishing himself at third base, Moustakis isn't quite as natural a fit. He has, however, you know, he's been, yeah, I think he's played more of his games at third base than second base with Milwaukee, but his work at second base hasn't been bad. He's been playable there. I think he's done a lot for his market. Um, I think the markets, for whatever reason, maybe it's Scott Boris, maybe it's uh, just the way tanking has affected the uh, team's pursuit of getting better players. But I think he's done everything you can ask from him uh, in terms of hitting, going to the National League, playing for a contender, contributing to a contender 
going to the infield, playing multiple positions that he never played before and, and playing it well enough to start 40, 50 games a year there. Um, I wouldn't write him off. You know, he's got the left-handed power. His strikeout rate has always been, uh, his, his ability to make contact has always been there. He's drawing more walks, or I think he's on the verge of setting a career high in walks. The on-base percentage is nearly 30 points above his career average. So there are things to like from him, and I wouldn't turn him down, um, you know, should it happen again. And I, Maybe I wouldn't want him being plan A just because of the infield fit, but as a plan B, uh he looks more intriguing than I thought, and his plan C, definitely. Uh, I, I would hope for his sake and for baseball's sake that you don't have so many teams sitting on the sideline that he can't find a deal again, because I don't know what more you can do from his perspective to get more teams interested in him. Moustakis would help the White Sox home run problem. If you read yeah, my column as you, as you wrote Sunday. about, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if he's a 30 home run guy and he's playing decent second base... And the White Sox are starving for left-handed power. Two years ago, when it was rumored that the White Sox could be interested, we made fun of the idea of the White Sox signing Mike Moustakis. But as the White Sox are making this transition and Moustakis is still hitting for power, Jim, sure, why not? If it's yeah, you got DH at bats, you got a third base in insurance in case Moncada gets hurt. Yeah, Zach Collins would just lose those plate appearances, but... If you are, if you want the White Sox to make the transition from rebuilder to start contending next year, yeah, you'd rather have Mike Bustakis be that left-handed bat than Zach Collins next year. And Collins could still get more playing time in Charlotte. Not saying that Collins is going to be playing second base, but I don't even know if Mustakis would be playing second base for the White Sox, mostly uh, if the White Sox signed him. But it's a, it's a very interesting idea, and we'll see on how many offseason plans have him, and we'll see on what Mustakis and even Yasmani Grandu with their uh, contract situations with the Milwaukee Brewers after this year. Our next question comes from John, and John is asking, Jim, when deciding how to approach your offseason wish list, are you using the 72 to 76 wins the White Sox may finish with this season or the 66 to 70 wins that were expected from their win loss and their pie thag and their run differential should have as your baseline? Well, I think 76 is out of the question, but when it comes to the, <laughs> uh, you know, win loss versus pie thag, I would go with pie thag, whatever the projections uh, ultimately say, just because especially this year with the way the White Sox bullpen uh, has protected every ninth inning lead and has protected all but two or three, uh, you know, late inning leads overall. Uh, given just the constitution of the bullpen and how Alex Colomay wasn't the typical dominating closer and Aaron Bummer came out of nowhere, is now regressing. This isn't a bullpen that should project well, you know, if everybody comes back to have this kind of astounding late inning success at the rate they're having it. And that's, I think, what goes into beating Pythag is having that excellent bullpen projection and having that, like, lucky... Uh, run allotment to where you hit the closer happens to give up runs when he's in a non-save situation or a tie game and he's uh, nails when it's a one-run game and he gives up two runs when he has a three-run lead we've seen a lot of that from the White Sox when it comes to the bullpen and you can't count on that kind of luck happening again so going into next season it's better off to trust the math when it comes to building a team and and trying to build a team that projects to a certain number and I think uh when it comes to the White Sox and, and how much growth they have to do, I think you want to underestimate how many wins this current roster and, and depth chart is built for and really add aggressively and, and not settle for, like, I guess, you know, say if a 14-win improvement, you know, a 14-win is like 
85 wins for Pythag and or 85 wins for real record versus like 80 wins for Pythag. Uh, trust the Pythag record and and improve further if there's room and ability to do that. <laughs> they might be stalled it. You know, and this is you know understanding. Uh, the White Sox struggles with improving their team through the pro market. Yeah, that's 14 wins might seems uh, optimistic, but just say if it happens to be the case where they've uh, improved themselves projection-wise that certain amount with a ma major off-season investment, if there's room to invest more or trade more, it would seem like it would be prudent to do that just because uh, this real record right now is pretty flimsy when it comes to just how fortunate they've been with the way their uh, late-inning runs have been uh, allotted and prevented. I'm using 70 wins, John. If they get to 70 wins, that's what I'm going to use. Because I feel like the White Sox this year were a 70-win team. Yep. You still got a long way to go, though. Again, if you remember what I just said about the Minnesota Twins, the Twins are already at 91 wins with two weeks left to go. To win the American League Central, it may require 95 wins just because the Tigers and Royals are that bad and some of these records are going to be inflated. Like the hope that the White Sox could win the American League Central with a 90 and 72 record, uh, I'm not seeing it. And the wild card teams too are also at 90 and 89 wins right now, so they'll probably finish 95-ish right. to 98. So when, you're, so when you're doing this, I don't care if you think the White Sox are a 70 or 75 win team. You need to come up with an offseason plan if you want the White Sox to be a contender and make the postseason next year. That adds 20 wins <laughs> on top of what they're doing right now. That's a lot of work that's got to be done. Uh, and not saying that's impossible because the White Sox have plenty of payroll budget. But, John, I'm going to be using 70 wins uh, for my upcoming offseason plan, knowing that I'm going to have to add 20 to 25 wins in my possible solutions if I want the White Sox to be a playoff team in 2020. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, 85 wins, you know, if they can get there somehow projecting to 85 wins, I would feel like that was a successful offseason just because you get in the area where uh, luck can play a big factor to, you know, you're within a standard deviation of low 90s. Sure. And if you have the wins show up in the first half, maybe you add during the break or, or in, uh, by the all-star break and, and add more wins that way. So I think 85 would be a pretty successful offseason if they were able to add 15 wins on the market and through trades and so forth. John, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And if you enjoy our work and if you'd like to support us and get more for your support, again, go to patreon.com slash Sox Machine and you get additional content, not only from the podcast, but also additional columns as well that Jim writes, especially his month in a box. Uh, so again, if you enjoy your work, if you want to help support Socks Machine, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.